Our scripture is Malachi 3, verses 8 through 12, Robbing God. Malachi 3, 8 through 12. Will a man rob God? Yet he have robbed me. But he say, Wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven, and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the fields of the Lord of hosts. And all nations shall call you blessed, for you shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. About a year ago, we considered the subject of tithing under a previous commandment. Again, we touch on the subject of tithing, this time under the heading of Thou Shalt Not Steal. The subject of tithing does deserve double treatment. It is one of the more neglected aspects of our faith in these days, or when it does get attention and tithing is being taught in many circles today, it is given the wrong emphasis. It is treated as though tithing were to the church, and as though the consequences of tithing were a personal matter. On both counts, the present teaching is false. Tithing is more than a matter that concerns the church or is related to the church. And it is more than a purely personal matter. Our scripture declares, first of all, that it is theft when a man does not tithe. Will a man rob God? Yet he have robbed me. Wherein have you robbed me? In tithes and offerings. Then the scripture declares, Ye are cursed with a curse, even this whole nation. So the nation is involved. Then there is the requirement that they bring the tithes. The consequences will be blessing. Agricultural personal, national, all nations shall call you blessed. Ye shall be a delightsome land. Now before analyzing the implications of this passage, of the statement that tithing is a robbery as far as God is concerned, let us review briefly what scripture teaches on tithing. A year ago, we analyzed in great detail the laws of tithing. Now to review those laws briefly. The basic civil tax, the only civil tax in Israel, in the law of God, was the head or whole tax. Every male citizen, 20 years old and older, according to Exodus 30, verses 11 through 16, paid this head or poll tax. This head or poll tax provided for the basic civil justice of the country all having the same stake in justice, all paid the same tax. Second, according to the law, no man was allowed to tax his own future by debt. Debt is a tax. It 
is a tax on yourself and on your future. Deaths, therefore, in terms of scripture, are limited to a six-year life. Deuteronomy 15, verses 1 through 4, spells this out. Then third, tithes are required of all men. The passages on this are numerous in the law. They appear also in Proverbs, in Matthew 23:23, Hebrews 7, 1 through 8, and in other passages. The regular tithe is 10%, of which the priests receive 10%. In other words, for the directly ecclesiastical or church function, only 10% of the tithe or 1% of one's income was paid. The rest went to more broadly social functions under God for education. Part of it went for music, which was, of course, temple music, and in that respect was for the church. It went for a variety of social functions. There was the poor tithe and the rejoicing tithe on alternate years, another 10%. So that the annual tithe was approximately 15 to 18% in six years out of seven, according to the way various men have computed the tax. Now, in view of the general function of the tithe, the fact that the tithe, in part indeed, went for the proclamation of God's word and the maintenance of the temple or of the church, but much of it went for a variety of other functions, education being very prominent among them, welfare being another, music still another. Why was it robbing God with hope of After all, when we analyze the tithe from the perspective of Scripture, it is much less religious in the modern sense of the term than the tithe of today. Because today as tithing is taught, the church says pay 10% of your income to the church. This is the Lord's money and we are the Lord's agency and therefore you pay it to us, not to anybody else. And in fact there are some who maintain that it must be paid only to the local church. Many, many pastors teach this. But in terms of scripture, as it clearly appears, only 1% of it directly and immediately went to the priest, or we would say to the local church. How then is it robbing God when so little of it went directly to the local proclamation of the word and the service. Of course, we would add that the proclamation of the word was also through teaching. So it was much broader than the temple or the tabernacle or the church. The answer is very clear. To withhold the tithe is to rob God because without the tithe, the totalitarian state develops progressively and plays God over society. With the tithe, the rule of God is restored over society. The tithe creates agencies to minister to the needs of godly society. The tithe does not belong to church or the state. It belongs to God. given by the people of God to those who will administer it under God. According to Mr. Ewing, who has
commented very ably on the tithe, and I quote, if we are living in a theocracy with a divine constitution, the tithe would cover everything. But at present, we are living under man-made government. Man-made governments collect their own taxes. Tithes still belong to God. Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, but unto God the things that are God's. The extra tax exacted by governments of our day is the penalty we pay for not adopting God's rule over us nationally. Israel was told of this very thing when she demanded a king to become like other nations, that he would misappropriate the tithe. Tithe, therefore, has very radical implications. The failure of the church to teach the true meaning of the tithe is a form of robbing God. When the church teaches that the tithe is only to the church, what it is saying is that only one corner of the world belongs to God, the church. And the rest of the world doesn't matter. But the whole purpose of the tithe was the government of all society by God. Even the tax that went to the state, the head or poll tax, was ordained by God as the state tax for the ministry of justice. So it too was part of God's tax. It is robbing God if we steal from him his government over the nation. If we turn it over to the state and the state plays God. Another form of robbing God, we can add, is the failure to provide for cleaning. In Leviticus 19, 9 through 11, and other passages, cleaning. Again, failure to observe the sabbatical years with respect to the land violates God's purpose of restoration. The earth is to be built up. We are to increase its strength, its productivity, instead of laying it waste. The early church observed the tithe. And it saw the tithe as far broader in purpose than the church. Thus, for example, from the early centuries in the apostolic constitution, we read concerning the tithe. I quote, Let him use those tithes and first fruits which are given according to the command of God as a man of God as also let him dispense in a right manner the free will offerings which are brought in on account of the poor, the orphans, the widows, the afflicted, and strangers in distress, as having that God for the examiner of his accounts who has committed the disposition to him, distribute to all those in want with righteousness, and yourselves use the things which belong to the Lord, but do not abuse them. Unquote. Now this is a very interesting passage. This comes out of an age of persecution. The church was not even a legally established, a legally permitted institution. And yet, in the midst of the Roman Empire, when its own members were dying, in the arena, being beheaded on the block. Here was the church, taking care of its poor and its orphans, its widows, educating its members, 
taking care of strangers in distress. This is why the conflict between Christ and Jesus is inescapable. After all, Rome was offering all kinds of social welfare, which is not ungodly social welfare. Social welfare to drone to people who would not work. But here was the church ministering to real need, providing for its members, taking care of strangers who had real problems and were in distress. It was an invisible government in the midst of all. One reason why not even the barbarians, when they overthrew Rome, could dispense with the Christians. Here was an invisible government that was taking care of society through the tide. Through the tide. And as we go through the so called Dark Ages, which were not Dark Ages, through the medieval period, the fairly modern time, we find that the tithe took care of what we call the social functions of society, of welfare, of hospitals, of the elderly who had no place, of every kind of social need, including all And one of the interesting things I encountered this week in a book that I read was the fact that during the high Middle Ages, when there was a great deal of complaining about the church and the priests and the corruption of the clergy, one of the things they never complained about was their failure to take care of the poor. Because even at their most corrupt, they still did maintain that basic social function. Now consider what this meant for the world. It meant that the rule of God prevailed in society. It meant that not the state, but the people of God through their giving took care of all the basic needs of that. This, incidentally, was what foundations were about. Foundations represent a Christian development in the history of the world. Foundations were established by individuals for no other purpose than to minister to such special needs. And so there would be a foundation established to provide education for those who could not have it. Couldn't afford it. Foundations established to further medical work. To further missions. To take care of any and every kind of It was only after 1900 that the foundations, beginning with the Carnegie Foundation, took a secular and humanistic function and allied themselves with the state to create a humanistic social order. This is what it means to rob God. Will a man rob God? Yet he have robbed me. And he say, Wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Ye are cursed with a curse. For ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Now we begin to understand, do we not, what it means to rob God? It transfers the control of society from God to the state. 
withdraws everything that was once a ministry to human need and makes it an agency of political control. The state having entered into education has made it a tool for the control of man. The state having entered into welfare has made it a tool for the control of man. The state having entered into health has made it a tool for the control of man. When we dealt with tithing, concluded at that time by stating that it was after the United States was formally established and the Constitution adopted that tithes began as a result of pressures from some people to be abandoned as a compulsory matter. I pointed out that George Washington protested strongly against it when Virginia dropped the compulsory tithe. State law in Virginia and many other states required that every man tithe. Now you could designate your tithe, but you had to pay it. What happened? Within a generation after the tithe began to disappear, the public school system appeared. And before the century was over, other areas had been invaded by the state. As tithing began to disappear because revivalism and evangelicalism said, we're not under law, we're under grace. We don't have to worry about laws like tithing. The state began to grow rapidly after 1900. The state began to play God. When we go back to the early church, we find that the preaching in the fifth century, for example, emphasized the fact that failure to tithe was theft and even more. Consider, for example, these two passages from anonymous sermons that have survived from the Augustinian era. I quote, Whoever will not give the tithe appropriates property that does not belong to him. If the poor die of hunger, he is guilty of their murder. We'll have to answer before God's judgment seat is a murderer. He has taken that which God has set aside for the poor and kept it for himself. Here the reference is to the poor tithe. Another such sermon, and I quote, Our ancestors had more than they needed because they gave God tithes and paid their taxes to the emperor. However, since we do not wish to share the tithes with God, everything will soon be taken from us. Tax collector takes everything which Christ does not receive. Unquote. They saw the issues, did they not? They saw very clearly you either are going to tie and create a social order in which human needs are met, or education, health, welfare are met through the tie, or else you have a state and a tax collector that's going to do it for you. Take your choice. This is why Charlemagne made the tithe mandatory for all citizens. Charlemagne could have made himself more powerful if he had said, I will take over and supply these services. 
But as a Christian emperor, he felt that the tithe was God's appointed weight. And therefore, he arrested some of the disintegration that was taking place at that time and made the tithe mandatory. And from that time, until the last century, the tithe was mandatory. In some periods, it declined. In our era, it has been dropped almost everywhere. Thus, we have a problem with totalitarianism, with statism.
what was that? Yes, you are. You are the chief administrator. In other words, you take your tithe and you say, now I must give it where God's work is being accomplished. Here is a Christian school. Here is a Christian agency of one sort or another. Here is a particular ministry to society in the name of God. And I, as God's administrator, will give my money to these agencies. Yes. Yes. No. The tithe of the storehouse is the barn, literally. And you have the tithe barns almost until modern times in Europe and also in this country, but I don't know of any surviving in this country. There may be a few in the East. But it was a place where you took it in days when instead of cash you had produce. So you took so many bushels of wheat or so many uh, boxes of fruit to the storehouse and you designated it. For example, you could take it to the storehouse of your choice. Part of it you might take to the church. Part of it you might take to another Christian agency. Now, uh, in the Middle Ages, there was a lot of conflict because the priests resented the fact that the friars were getting so much of the tithes in their storehouses, in their tithing barns. But then the friars were establishing hospitals and schools and various agencies which the priests were not bothering to do. And so, they were getting the the time. Now this is the way it actually was. So the storehouse meant a little barn. But in those days if there was a hospital for the relief of lepers or an old folks home or a church, you took a portion of your tithe to that storehouse. Now you take cash. But that's what the storehouse means, a barn. That's true. Today our tax setup makes it very difficult sometimes to administer the tithe, but we have to administer it as unto God. Sometimes we take a penalty tax-wise. A few years ago, you see, they did cut off the personal aspect of it. Not too many years ago, you could give directly to certain kinds of persons. Today, a personal gift is not tax-exempt. So, uh, the state law is working against us here, but we still have to reckon that this is God's tithe and we're giving unto the Lord, and we reckon 10% unto the law, period. Plus the core tithe, another 5%. Yes. It is not wrong for the church to use it for other purposes. In fact, they should. They are not the only agency of God's power. And a good church will, of course, use it for a variety of purposes. You could. 
Right. Today, you see, since we do not have very many agencies to receive the prophecy, we have a rather chaotic situation. So, uh, you do have the freedom. You could give the whole 10% to a church, you could give the whole 10% to a school, you could give the whole percent to any Christian agency. You are the administrator. In a godly society, of course, this balances out. Someone will concentrate on one thing, another person on another thing. But when everybody is paying the tithe, a great many functions are further. Yes. then you're offering unto idols, false gods, you see. And God will not count what you give to a false god as given unto him. Yes. Right. Well, of course, the term Dark Ages, Middle Ages, are propaganda terms. Historians of the Renaissance and after, looking back, said the days of the Roman Empire were a golden age. And when Rome fell and the Christians began to take over, that was the Dark Ages of the world. Well, they couldn't call the latter portion of the era between Rome and the Renaissance dark because they had the gigantic cathedrals and whatnot around them. So they said the whole thing was really the medieval period, and we'll call the earlier part the Dark Ages. It was purely propaganda. William Carabach of Stanford has called the era that is referred to as the Dark Ages as a very important era when there was more industrial development at any time, more inventiveness in history until the Industrial Revolution. And he speaks to the Christian thinkers of that era as the frontier thinkers of Western civilization. It was not a dark era. Because it was Christian, you see. That made it bad. Yes. becoming an embarrassment to them as scholars are admitting the uh, tremendous uh, learning and insight that they get. The poll tax was on all men, married or single, 20 years old and up. It was a fixed tax, so that the poorest could pay it, and it had to be the same for everyone. Now, this naturally kept the government a limited government, because this was all that went directly to the state. The state could not become a powerful agency 
And this was the only tax that could lay upon its people as citizens. Yes. Yes. Well, the fact that outwardly he complied with God's requirements and established more or less a godly law order, but not with a, a full uh, inward compliance with it. He went through the motions of having a godly order, but he was not entirely with it. Inwardly. Now multiply that 
a hundredfold, and you have a picture of Canaanite culture. We are beginning to see a moral breakdown around about us now. But imagine what it would be like if every kind of perversion were ritually required as a part of temple worship. Publicly. That you had to participate in it. Your children from their very earliest years became participants of these various perversions as a part of going to the temple. The net result would be the production of a highly degenerate people. This is exactly what you had, and God gave the order. He had been patient with them four hundred years, they were to be destroyed. Now that was not a matter of court proceedings as far as man's courts were concerned, but as far as total warfare against the totally degenerate people. Remember too, in the flood, the little children went also. Yes. I didn't quite hear that. No, because the illegitimate child could become a believer. He had a place in society, but he could not become a part of the congregation or could certain foreign peoples until so many generations of character had been demonstrated. Now, in exceptional cases like Ruth the Moabitess, they were received. In other words, they made room for people who are outstanding. But they did recognize that there is a difference between peoples and some people are incapable immediately of being taken into normal communion with others in a congregation. There was definitely segregation. But it was segregation that provided for ultimate integration also. If character were maintained. Now, this may sound rough, but it did preserve godly order. And today the idea is, well, if they want in, you let them in. What does it lead to? Well, the mentality now is, increasingly, the gate crashers mentality. If you stop to consider, it doesn't get into the papers much now because there are so many more serious crimes. But if you stop to consider what a major thing gate crashing has become. Have a birthday party for a child. And if it's generally known there's a party, you get hoodlums that you've never heard of or seen who crashed the party. Any major social function, the gate crashing is enormous. There have actually been cases not too far from us here, where a wedding reception has been gate-crashed and serious injury done to the bride and groom as well as members of the wedding party. Why? Because the mentality today is that nobody has a right to exclude anybody. They actually believe they have a right to crash anything. They're as good as anybody else. Well, the Bible doesn't hold to that philosophy. It doesn't think anybody is as good as anybody else. And you have the right to exclude, and God's law says you exclude all else. It sounds rough, but it's very, very healthy. Our time is just about up. I'd like to remind you of the Stenholt Seminar. Now, uh, they are running into a little bit of a problem with regard to this seminar. They had so many people 
indicate they were coming, that they thought they would run out of room and would have to terminate the uh, reservations they received. But none of these couple of hundred or so people have sent in their names or done anything. So now they are wondering if uh, they can hold it. So how many are interested, or planning rather, to attend the Senate Seminar? Could you raise your hand so I can make a count? Nine. Very good. Yes, the seminar is on inflation and investment. Dr. Senholtz is a very able economist. He is also a working businessman as well as a professor. This is a very practical seminar, and it will pay you to go if you are interested in knowing what the future of things is economically. So I do urge you to attend. It's $20 per person, an all-day seminar this Saturday, 8.30 a.m. to 5.15 p.m. at the Carillon Room of Glendale Federal, where we had our Christmas festival. The Announcements are on the desk in the back. Take them and please mail them in today or tomorrow morning so they will know. One last little item to share a bit of humor with you that uh, I thought was choice. It was from Morty Meekle on the register. And little Winthrop is watching his favorite western on television. And the good guy has the bad guy cornered his hands up and says, Know what I'm going to do to you, dirty Dan? I'm going to send you to my analyst. He'll straighten you out. And poor Dave Winthrop says, They're not making westerns like they used to. <laughs> so with that, we are adjourned.